Stephen's Children is a wonderful ministry that offers hope and new life for children and for families living in Cairo, Egypt's garbage, uh, garbage slums. And it was uh, founded by Mama Maggie, Mama Maggie Gubran, um, and she still guides it. And it now is touching the lives of more than 25,000 families there in and around Cairo. And it is served by uh, over 1,500 volunteers and workers. Uh, Mama Maggie hungers and thirsts for what is right in this world. She mourns the evil that uh, causes those things to happen to children to live in garbage slums. She longs that things will be made right. And her efforts to reach out come about because she's been touched by the love of Christ herself and because she's heard the words of Jesus that we're going to hear today, that we are to be salt and light in this world. And I'm telling you, she is being salt and light to thousands. But I also want you to know that it all started with one little boy. So I want you to hear her words. choose where to be born, but we do choose either to be sinners or saints, to be nobody or heroes. If you want to be a hero, do what God wants you to do. True love is to give and forgive. To give until it hurts. With God's grace, I left everything and I found Him shining, waiting for me with a crown of love. After all, it was a child who spoke to me from a pile of a garbage. He said, Don't leave me. Do you know the poor children? They are hungry, hungry. Every day, they are naked from clothes or shelter, but they are naked also from dignity. When one has nothing, God becomes everything. You know, in silence, you leave many and be with the one. I wanted to show that because as I read the Sermon on the Mount that we are looking at as a church family, it becomes so clear to me that what God is doing through Mama Maggie is what he wants to do through each one of us. Can you believe it? Uh, one of the most shocking aspects of what we're going to look at today that Tracy and Donna read for us, those well-known verses, you are the salt of the, the earth, you are the light of the world, is that Jesus clearly believes that, that the rule of God is going to break into this world and it's going to happen through ordinary people, even in the eyes of the world, less than ordinary people, people like Mama Maggie, who simply go in the name of Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, and engage in these sacrificial acts of love just like Jesus engaged in. And, and it's also one of those things that I see here, that things that begin so small, like one little boy reaching out from the garbage heap, and reaching out with the love of Christ, God takes that and multiplies it 
into something that, that brings about his transforming work and often to the lives of many, many people. I want us to think about that today. Uh, the text that we're going to look at, that Donovan and Tracy read for us, is a text in which Jesus was turning to some people who looked less than, than ordinary in the eyes of the world. And he said to them this, You are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. But what you have to do is to let that light shine among others so that they may see your good deeds and then give praise to your Father in heaven. That's all that I want us to do today. That's all. <laughs> so I'm going to look at this great, great text and ask several simple questions about it. The first one is, about whom is Jesus speaking? Who is the salt and light in the world today. And I want us to hear these words. Um, you, you are the salt of the earth. You, you are the light of the world. Uh, I think if we're going to read this text today and get its significance, we have to try to envision being there when Jesus first spoke the words. And so we can't imagine being in a big, big church building here in the powerful United States. Uh, they were out on the hillside. Uh, they were living in a country under the oppression of another, another government so that they didn't have much clout. Nobody expected much to come out of Judea. And did you know that where they were, Galilee, the northern part, was the least respected part of their own oppressed country? I mean, really, nobody expected anything big to come out of Galilee, of Judea. Now, if you don't expect much out of, out of yourself now, think about being then a part in that country of a very small, persecuted religious minority. People were very suspicious of those who followed this, this, this Jesus. In other words, they, they didn't have a big church building like ours. They didn't have Christian universities. They wouldn't have had our orchestra up there. They didn't expect very much at all. On this particular day then, uh, there was a big festival of their people, and Jesus pulls his disciples up into an elevated place for the Sermon on the Mount, and he tells them that the kingdom of heaven is breaking in. Going back to Isaiah 61, he says, the rule of God, in my coming, the rule of God is coming into this world. And, and they knew from reading that, what that, that meant. That when that work was finished, when the kingdom of God came in its fullness, Jesus was saying that, that poverty is going to be gone. That, that wars will be no more. That the tears of people who are, are so sad and hurting are going to be dried. That death itself will cease. That in fact, when God's rule comes in its fullness and God again is in charge, everything that is wrong in this world will be made right. Can you imagine being there? And I think I would think, beautiful. But how on earth is that going to happen? And now Jesus begins to tell us. He looks down at the people through whom the reign of God is going to move into the world. And what does he see? I just have to tell you, with human eyes, he doesn't see much. He doesn't see much. He doesn't see influential religious leaders. He doesn't see people with any political clout. He doesn't see any people that, that were rich and had financial strength. He just looked. At, he sees these twelve, probably unkempt, probably poorly educated people. He saw a few fishermen. 
He saw a tax collector. Nobody liked them. He saw one religious zealot. Everybody thought they were nuts. And, and he has the audacity to turn to a group like that and say, you, and emphatic in his language, he says it really twice, you, you are the salt of the earth. I think he had to say it twice because they would never have believed it. And you, you are the light of the whole world. I think most of us would have thought, Jesus, we've read the management books. You need better people around you. You need to get some other people on the bus. It can't happen through them. And you have to, the enormous import of his words is, is lost on us because we have refrigeration and, and we have electrical lights here around us. You know, salt was usually used to preserve food. It was used for many things. And any of you who like to cook, you know there's nothing much worse than rotting meat. And so when no refrigeration is there, you can see the value of salt. Well, it was enormous. And they didn't have electrical lights, so they knew what utter darkness was. So they knew what it meant to be, to be light. And then this, this, this huge statement, you are the salt of the whole earth. You are the light, God's light for the whole world. It, it does tell us how Jesus sees the world, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus loves the world so much that he came and gave his life. But he also was under no illusions that this world was just getting better and better. He knew that things were deteriorating, that evil was in this world, that other things were reigning in this world. And, and he knew that this world needed salt and light. It needed something. Now God, loving the world, had built things within his creation to restrain evil. Like what? Read Romans 13. He builds governments in this world. And apparently even the worst of them is better than anarchy. So that's a part of it. And, and he builds in creation. You can see it in Genesis 2. He creates things like marriage and family. And when our marriages and families are strong, it holds things together in our society. But he knew that neither of those were enough to restrain the evil in, in the kind of world that we are in, that Mama Maggie saw there and, and that we see around us and see inside of us. So he had his, his greatest thing of all. He came. And then he decided to come into those who would receive him. And then his greatest work of art, uh, of all, to bring his power and his hope and his healing to this world is, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Take, taking people like, like, like these disciples, uh, that they themselves were not yet perfect. They themselves seem to be so weak. Taking people like that, giving himself to us, forgiving us of our past, sending us into the world and making a difference through our lives. That's what he does. Jesus said that even those who are less than ordinary in the eyes of the world, when we go in the name of Christ and engage in acts of love, sacrificial love in his name, that he will take them and do his work through us and multiply them to do kingdom work in ways we never could have imagined. And here we are in Pasadena. What started there among those 12 has made it all the way here. Who could have imagined? So, back to the question. Who today, who today is God's salt and light to the world? Okay, I want you to get in and find your mirror and look at it. I, just, I want you to take that mirror out and just look at it. And I want you to hear Jesus saying to you today, 
You are my salt to the earth. You are my light to the world. That sound impossible. <laughs> Question number two. How is he going to do it? <laughs> how is he going to take people like us and like these ordinary people to do his kingdom work? What he was going to do is gather people like these 12 and he would teach them. He would forgive them, remake them, and then he would bring them into community. And as they're there, he'll teach them here so that they can become salty and lighty. <laughs> and then he'll send them out. That's what he's going to do. You may say, that doesn't seem like all that great a plan. But it's God's plan. And throughout history, people have seemed to think that God needs a better plan. And maybe we can come up with a better one. You can almost imagine reading this and thinking, well, who does he have around him there? Well, he has a few fishermen. They're used to being out on the water. Oh, maybe they can hijack one of Caesar's warships and through military might uh, bring about the good that we see in this world. Can't, can't you imagine us thinking that way? He has one politician there, a political zealot though he was. All right, he'll get him to start a, a, a political action group, get sign-in campaigns. We'll take over the politics and we'll force people to God's morality. I'm getting the meddling right now a little bit. Don't you? Or maybe he has one person who has some money. He has Matthew, a tax collector. He has money. He can finance a marketing campaign. Big billboards in Pasadena. Jesus is the answer. That will do it. Those all seem better plans than this one, don't you think? Now let me tell you, it's a little tongue-in-cheek. I want you to hear me here. God sends his people into all of those places. God sends his people into the military. My brother Chuck was one of them. He went into the Air Force. He led his entire barracks and boot camp to the Lord. I still have the picture with all of them signing. They all came to know Christ. He sends us into, into, to, into the military. He sends uh, people into business to live for him there and to be different there. He, and believe it or not, he sends some of us into politics. And I believe here there are some of us that God is going to call and send into the political arena to live for him there. But it's not that we go in there and do it the way that the world does it. It is that we go there as his kind of people. And when we go and live for him in a different way, reflecting the ways of Jesus, he says, I will use you in ways you never could have imagined. Well, what kinds of people? And I'll tell you, to get at that, you take these great verses about us being salt and light, and you look at them in context. You don't rip them out of context. What do you see? The verses that precede it, verses uh, 3 through 12, are all about what God says has to happen inside of us. Do you remember my messages about it? it? God's work begins on the inside of us and then works to the outside. And so you have these beautiful character traits that we see in Jesus. What, what kind of things need to happen inside of you and me for us to be the people God uses powerfully? The blessed are those who are poor in spirit, he said. We are people who know we are utterly dependent upon God for anything great to happen. Because we know we have sinned, so blessed are those who mourn. We mourn our own sin and the effects of it, and we mourn the sin in our world, just like Mama Maggie did, the, the effects of that upon the world. We know that that's not right. So we use whatever God gives us, not with pride, but blessed are the meek, the use of whatever he gives us to bring blessing and benefit to others around us. And something begins to change inside of our passions. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what is right. 
We want our own lives to be right. Amen? And we want to have our lives used that when we see the pain and suffering in our world, that God might use us to help make things right there. And we want people to know the mercy of God because we've received it. Blessed are the merciful. Having received it, being thankful for it. We long for those around us also to know it as well. And we have a single-minded focus to show the love of God and to live the way of God in this world. We are pure in heart, focused upon doing the things of God and having found peace with God through faith in Jesus. We become peacemakers. We want others to have peace with God. And we see us broken from one another. We long for people to know the peace, the shalom of God that he came to bring. Beautiful qualities. It's the one who is growing, growing in those internal character traits that God says, I'll send you and your life will change. As you grow from the inside to the out, verse 16, people will see your deeds and they'll say, God must be in that. God must be, because that's not the way most people live. They'll see those deeds and they'll give praise to our Father who is in heaven. So the kind of people that God uses as salt and light are people who know Jesus, receive him into our lives, bask in his forgiveness and his grace, and are growing to become more Christ-like and go and live in the world. Now if you move to the other part of the context, the verses that follow it, verses 17 to 48, And we're going to be looking at each one of these ways of life in the coming weeks. But what he talks about is the way that God created us to live. He takes us back to the law of the Old Testament, especially to the Ten Commandments. And he says those ways that God gave us, those commands, they're good. I didn't come to abolish them. I came to live that way and to make it so that you can live that way. And he knew that people had distorted them and turned them into killing rules. And he says, I know others have said that this is what God meant, but let me tell you what he really meant. And he called us to live God's way. We're going to see it. It affects all of our lives. We'll see it week after week after week. In other words, when you put these two things together, and I think I've written a phrase up here for you to see it. What Jesus is saying is this. When we develop those inner character traits of Jesus, Matthew 5, 3 through 9, And then we live, we go out knowing, we study this word and get to know it. We go from this place committed to living God's way rather than the world's or rather than our own. We will go out and living that way wherever he puts us. Our lives will make a positive difference that further the kingdom of God in our world. It will bring glory to him. Jesus is just saying that God's way to change the world is to have people, even people who know that they're imperfect and we can't do it on our own, even people who look less than ordinary in the eyes of the values of the world, to have people filled with the Spirit of God, committed to Jesus, going out and speaking of Jesus, engaging in sacrificial acts of love, and he says, I'll use it and multiply it until the kingdom of God is complete. That, that, that's the message of the New Testament which is question three. All right, I want to be a part of that. I hope all of us are saying, what should I expect, Pastor, if I go from here really ready, seeking to live for Jesus, having the eyes like Mama Maggie had, having the heart that we're supposed to... If I go out seeking to touch lives for Jesus, what should I expect if I'm salt and light in the world? Verses 10 through 12. Here it is, blessed. Good, you say, good beginning. 
are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me in the same way they persecuted the prophets? Are you still saying sign me up? I just... I keep wondering, why don't we put these into a, a praise chorus and sing them? <laughs> Here's some, we'd run the whole, would we run the church? Uh-huh. All right, you know I've been preaching several weeks in Matthew 5 and I've ignored these verses up to now, right? I can ignore them no longer. I can't sugarcoat them either. They are right there. How can that be when people who are developing these beautiful qualities that we've talked about find such resistance when we seek to live for Jesus and tell people about the beautiful Jesus that we follow. And yet we know it's true, don't we? We know it's true. And Jesus says it has always been. And it was true of Jesus too. He lived these qualities out more fully than anyone else. And the world put him on a cross. Now remember, and we're going to be remembering it, that cross couldn't hold him. So you and I have this longer view uh, that that sin that put him on the cross, he defeated it. And, and that death that he had to experience, he overcame it through a resurrection. So that's a great promise for us. God's rule will come to completion. And when we follow him, we are on the victor's side. Hold on to that. But that doesn't mean that there won't be some tough times. And it would be wrong for me to have you come to church and to tell you otherwise because Jesus says otherwise, right? Right? At least I'll give you this. There's so much I'd like to say, but there's one principle about this that has helped me so much. I hope it will help you. I call it the principle of changing regimes. That when a new rule comes into anything, the old rulers resist. Does that make sense to you? That in any organization, institution, when a new rule or a leader comes in, everything else has to adjust to that, and especially if they're very different, Sometimes there's real resistance to it. Those of you who have brought together when you've had difficulties in an earlier marriage, a blended family, you know what I'm talking about here, the readjustment that has to happen when that takes place. The one illustration I I thought personally that might help you is when I became uh, the president of a Christian university, my predecessor, people told me that my predecessor and I were as different as any two people that they could ever imagine. Now, that, that's a little bit discouraging for me because he was a man of great competence. So I thought, well, <laughs> I thought, what does that mean? <laughs> but, but it really was true. He, uh, he knew the academy. Uh, people would say he has, it's like he has a bank computer built in his brain. He was just such a good financial person. I had kind of a life, you know, I'm a pastor. And I hadn't had any experience administrating a, an educational institution, a complex one like that, with that involved that kind of money and that kind of complexity. Well, because of his gifts, he he loved to make decisions. He made them fast. He didn't rethink them. But that led to him wanting to have a vice president team, a leadership team, where they carried out, more like general and lieutenants, carried out the marching orders. He had these renowned uh, meetings with them. So 20 minutes, this is what I want you to do. One, two, three, four, five, out, next. One, two, three, four, five, out next. They knew what to do. So they knew where they were headed and the decisions were made. And even if they didn't like them, they could blame him, right? So I come in and I need people who know what they're doing. I knew we had to go in the same direction and we had to share the same values. But I needed people who would make decisions that would get their areas in that direction. 
I, I won't go into all that happened. I just want you to know it was tough. The whole point is there was, it was a system shock. An organization, once you've had a leader and have a very different one come in, everything sort of resists it. It's awkward. Now just think about this world. It was meant to have God in control. Genesis 2. Genesis 3, people rejected God's control. We wanted to control our own lives. Adam and Eve went their own way. A new kingdom set in. Uh, of the flesh, of each one of, us, one of us wanting to live our own way, building systems, whatever society, whatever nation you come from, building systems that usually like to leave God out, not wanting to have God in control, so that the systems of this world are often opposed to the kingdom of God, and the evil one is at work too. And so God comes back in. Jesus enters and says, the kingdom of God is being launched. And I just want you to know, the kingdoms of this world resist and that's why this happens. Does that make sense to you? And will happen until the kingdom is complete. The systems of this world, the evil one, will fight the rule of God. And let me just tell you, you've got, you got to listen to me here. Let me just tell you that that kingdom of self is also going to fight against the rule of God. You and I are going to come and we're going to know what God wants us to do. We're going to go out and we're going to be tempted. And we think, I want to go this way. God wants me to go that way. I want to go this way. Anybody else know this? This is why this happens. This is why this happens. So I want you to know that as we surrender to the rule of God and he begins to do his work in and through us, it will not always be easy, but he will complete his work in you and in this world. Hallelujah. Uh, question four, finally. So, Pastor, what are you wanting us to do? What did Jesus want them to do? These verses, people do not light a light and put it under a bowl. They put a light on a lampstand and it gives light to everyone in the house. What I'm saying, Jesus said, others have to see the good deeds in this world. And when they do, they will give glory to our Father who is in heaven. So basically, I want you to come to church every week and become saltier and shinier. So we'll gather, and then I want us to go and do something in the name of Jesus. Just pretty much that simple. Like M Mama Maggie did. Th these, these deeds are going to flow from what God is doing here. So just like the disciples needed to come and gather with Jesus and hear his teaching, so you don't know how to live uh, unless you've learned. We don't know how to apply it unless we've understood it. So we need to come together. I, I've called it breathing in, right? So that we can breathe out. So, so that's, that's his scheme. He's going to draw us to himself and bring us into a community like this. We're going to become as salty as we can be and we're going to strengthen that light. And then he's going to send us all over this community and sometimes all over the world to be his salt and light and to make difference. Because isn't it amazing? Jesus doesn't say, I want you to become salt and light. But that when we follow him, we are Salt and light. That's what you are when God gives himself to you. Now you say, if that's true, why is it that some people aren't very salt-bearing or light-bearing? And Jesus gives us two reasons. One, he says we can fail in doing what God wants us to do by being uninvolved in the world. Uh, it's taking all the light and putting it under a bowl. 
It's not the way it's supposed to be. I've told you, whenever we bring all the people of the light into one place and we're only together, we just blind one another. We see one another's flaws. That's what we do. Light is meant to shine. It's got to get out there. You take all the salt and just put it in there in the cupboard and we just parch one another's throats. That's what we do. We gather, but we gather so that we can go. And so the point is that uh, we can't stay where we are. We come here together to have fellowship and to hear this marvelous oh, praise music. Dwayne, it's just such a, such a blessing. And we gather prayerfully. I, I pray I'll be faithful to this word so that we can hear what God would have us to do and be reminded of how much he loves us and that there's hope for us so that we can go out and touch God's lives wherever he puts us with eyes open as Mama Maggie had them, eyes open and ears open to hear a little boy out of the garbage slum saying, I need help, don't leave me. And I say, I don't know what I can do, but I'll be there. See, we'll fail only if we fail to be involved in touching lives. And the second way he talks about it is, we can go out there and also fail by being indistinguishable from the world. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It then is good for nothing except to be trampled underfoot of men. My mom used to say, she says all this, Lord, save us from being good for nothing. She would say that all the time. And the way that we are good for nothing in terms of the kingdom of God is that there's no difference in our lives from the people around us. God did not rescue us from sin to leave us living the lives we used to lead. Now this is a place where a preacher could just preach hours and make you feel as guilty as you could be for all the things not right in your life. And you won't give me that time you'd be leaving before I was done. I already know it because we have too many issues we wrestle with. So what do I praying about? I'm praying the Spirit of God would shine into each one of our hearts this morning. And as we receive communion, I'm, I'm praying you'll take moments for that to show you areas of your life that are not any different from the world around. And that you'll make a recommitment to holiness. Um, if you look at your life and you see that there's no difference in the entertainment that you watch, in the way that you speak, no difference from, from those around you, and in the way that you run your business or handle your money or use it. Really, following Jesus should change everything. But I'm asking that you will ask God to show you areas of your life that he might make different. Because it's when people see the difference that he makes that they will say God must be there and be drawn to him. Now, if we are salt and light, I have to at least end with the pushback that I've been getting ever since I've talked about this, is that we have talked about the fact that the evils in the world are so huge. How can our very small acts of love and kindness and the small words of telling people about Jesus really make a difference? And especially... Because we look inside ourselves and see that there's still so much inside of us that is not yet whole. I mean, how can Jesus use imperfect people to go out there and bring his rule to a world where the evil is so great? How, that doesn't seem to make any sense to some people. Um, but it does to God. He does his work in us and as He's doing his work and we're thankful for it. We go out and share it and he, he multiplies it. One other principle, I call it the principle of the seeds. That Jesus always teaches that God's rule begins with what seems to be so small that eventually what we do in his name will grow to reflect his glory 
Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32. He said, you know what the rule of God is like? It is like one of those little mustard seeds. It's the smallest seed that a farmer plants in our gardens. And yet when it grows and it's cared for, and even in those arid territories where it's actually cared for, it can grow to be 10 to 15 feet bigger than all the other plants. And it brings blessing. Even the birds like to be in its nest. It brings shade to us all. It's a be- That's the way the rule of God is, he says. You plant a seed of the love of God and of the message of the gospel, and God is the one who cares for it. Just bl- trust Him for that. And He will make it something bigger than you ever could have imagined. Uh, that's why Mama Maggie started with one little boy and now has 15,000. That's the encouragement he gave to these unlikely men who withdrew from the crowd that day to hear him preach. I just want you to know God can use you and me in the very same way if we will go with his heart, with his eyes, and carry his message and his love to our world. All through the series I've been telling us stories of people who've done this. Do you remember Dr. Bob Pierce? One little girl in China, orphaned, He reaches out, and now it's become world vision, bringing God's hope to thousands, thousands, hundreds of thousands. A mama Maggie starting with one little boy, now 25,000 families served by 1,500 workers. It's an amazing thing. I also thought, well, when I just tell about people there, you say, oh, yeah, that's those people way out there. I want to tell you about one story of a Lake Avenue church person where I see this happening. There are many of you it's happening through. But do you know, a number of years ago, a ministry started here in the church where people went out to the, uh, uh, to the lake facility, the prison there, juvenile prison in Los Angeles. And now this ministry is headed up by Pat Miller. I called up Pat. I hope I get the story right. He can correct it if you want to talk to him. You know that Pat, though he's such a good businessman, he grew up largely without a father. Uh, Pat's father was a man who abandoned his kids, abused Pat's mom, lived his life in and out of prison, and eventually died on Skid Row. Can anything good come out of a family like this? Pat came to know Jesus. Came to know that things can be different when Jesus is in the equation. Knew that Jesus could right the wrongs in a heart and in in the world. Jesus, he knew, could make our lives different. One day, Pat, he's at New York Life, he hired an intern... And apparently this uh, intern irritated Pat by always twisting his arm, trying to get him to go visit the prisons with him. So finally, Pat went. You already need to know. You'll get to know Pat. You'll see it. He already has this heart for people. He has a heart that hungers for what is right and mourns the effects of evil in this world. He had experienced them. So he, but he had to leave his comfort zone and go out there and touch the lives of people. And when he went to the prison, he saw young people who had never experienced the love of a family. And so out of that had fallen into lives of drugs and gangs and illicit sex. Uh, Pat's heart that itself had been changed by the love of Christ just led him to have to go back to the prison over and over again. And now he leads the ministry. And Pat told me that in his 10 to 15 years of leading that ministry, every week he and his team see 30 to 40 kids respond to the gospel. Which when you start putting that together, that means hundreds of people who have come to Christ. And he said they're gangbangers, some of them. Some of them are killers. And some of them are just naive kids who happened to be in the wrong place and didn't know where else to go. 
Paul, uh, Pat urges them to, to, to know that Jesus loves them. He has this longing to show them the love of Christ. I, I just think he's being salt and light. What do you think? But for that to happen, you've got to go. You see, you've got to go. So Pat comes to church, and he becomes a, a really a, a salty person here. And he gets that light strengthened, and then he goes, and God is using him and his team. And I just want you to pray about how God might use you to bring his good news to this world. I want each one of us to leave our gathering today having these words of Jesus transcend the ages and come to you so that you hear. You. You are the salt of the earth. And you, you are God's light to the whole world. Then go and touch lives and shine to his glory. Amen. Amen. Pastor Scott, I, I really want us to end by looking at Jesus. So will you come and bring us to the cross to remember the one who came for us?